Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our apostle, the chief bishop, the shepherd, and the high priest of our profession, we ask you to bless us. We thank you for revealing so much as you have to us from the word of God. Bless us now in the minutes that we have to learn, to be reminded, to have it established that we might have the certain words of truth in our mouths, fit and prepared to answer those that would ask us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew Jones, our webmaster, wanted to remind me at break time that the reason he is not in the Primitive Baptist Church and is here is because he was at work and a pagan provoked him about something he didn't know was in the Bible, and that was an Antichrist with a number of 666. So he went to his pastor and said, Who is the Antichrist? And as Matthew described it, the look was one of a deer in the headlights of a Mack truck. And the minister said, I don't know. I need to go ask my father. And Matthew was a little discouraged by that, and so was his mother. And so there was a meeting arranged in 1984 or 5 in which we got together and there is an answer. And we have the answer by the grace of God. I hope that you know when you hold your King James Bibles that our translators wrote you a little note in the front of it that it's written to the King of England in which they said, we're so thankful, King, and they said it very reverently and respectfully, we're so thankful for you authorizing this edition of the Bible because you have dealt the man of sin such a blow, he'll never recover from it. And there is more truth in that statement than there is error or hypothesis. Since the King James Version was released, the progress of the gospel in the world by that English translation has greatly abated the influence of Catholics and their control in governments, especially of English-speaking countries. Is Catholicism Antichrist? Why the question? Rome and the world declare that Rome and the world declares that uh, they are Christian. The Bible has the popes, the man of sin, and Antichrist. And so there is a question, is Catholicism Antichrist? Good ministers are supposed to preach against it, and I've shared that passage with you. I'm sorry about this font. If I'd have had more time, maybe I shouldn't have gone to bed at all last night, I'd have shrunk the font. I know it's a little thick, but if you look at it and you know that what line I'm on, you'll be able to follow along with me. The Bible is an anti-Catholic book by many different evidences. Right. Any prophetic scheme, any school of prophetic interpretation that overlooks the Roman Catholic Church is clearly false because it's the greatest enemy of Christianity. Right. Why the question? We need to know her abominations so that we can avoid them. Not everything claiming to be Christian is Christian. Not everything that is preached as Jesus is Jesus, nor spirit, spirit, nor gospel, gospel. We need to hold apostolic tradition on everything. We want to be reminded why are we, we are bound to give thanks always as the apostles were bound to give thanks for the Thessalonians because they had been chosen to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. We want to learn why God hates Catholicism so much. He hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
He hated those that called themselves Jews and were not, but worshipped in the synagogue of Satan, found in the first three chapters of Revelation, and why this enemy is so great to his son, Jesus Christ. You've seen this slide before of how the popes were moved about from place to place in public. That's Pius XII, just from last century. You've seen that. Jesus said about Sabia Gestatoria, and that is the popes being carried about like a king by on the shoulders of priests. Jesus said about the Pharisees that all their works, all their works they do to be seen of men, and they love the uppermost rooms at feasts. Do you think uh, Sabia Gestatoria qualifies for loving the uppermost rooms at feasts? And they love the chief seats. Do you think Sadia Gestatoria qualifies for a chief seat in the synagogues? That's what Jesus said of the Pharisees. The popes were carried this way until 1978 when they began using cars and the Pope Mobile. Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom were the servants. The Pope should be carrying a child or a janitor if he was a Christian. It's Antichrist. For the head of that church to be elevated and carried about in such a way, he should be carrying about a child or a janitor. There's the Pope Mobile, by the way, in front of a well-known building. That's Benedict XVI. There's Pope John Paul II's funeral. I'm going over it again because I want you to remember the scarlet. I want you to remember the purple. Purple and scarlet. Anything special about these colors? And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. We had it read to us today by Brother Jim from Revelation 17 and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls repeated again in the next chapter. There's some gold and precious stones. And some more, more, the triple tiara, the Pope's modest crown, gold and precious stones. Incredible pieces of work. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus wearing one of these? I'm going to show you his crown in a moment. You know what it looks like. A vicar of Christ should wear this. If they're truly a representative of Jesus Christ, shouldn't they wear the crown he wore? Why not? Because they're enemies of the cross and they're enemies of the true Christ. This is humility. There's nothing humble about that. Remember, it has several meanings. Let's look at some of those. Jesus told his apostles this rule. Jesus called them unto him, his apostles, when they were fighting and arguing about who was going to be greatest after he left. Jesus said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. That is over the Gentiles. There's ranks of authority, and the guys on top dominate the ones underneath. And they that are great, the ones on top, exercise authority upon those lower Gentiles. Jesus was explaining, listen, we're a kingdom. The Gentiles function this way. Those on the top dominate those underneath. But it shall not be so among you. Isn't that wonderful? It shall not be the way of other kingdoms among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And this word means servant. Let him be your servant. 
And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Wonderful. What a difference. Why a triple tiara? Here's one of their explanations. Because as the supreme pontiff, he is the universal pastor. He is the universal ecclesiastical jurisdiction of authoritative judgment. And three, he is the temporal power over governments, civil governments. Others have explained he's the father of princes and kings. He's the ruler of the world and the vicar of Jesus Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. Now, we read from their sources that they said this. He is the king of heaven, earth, and hell. The three little horns uprooted from Daniel 7, verses 8, 20, and 24. Opposing God, above God, and is God. They all fit to me. It doesn't really matter. It's totally contrary to everything of Christ, so it's Antichrist, the unholy trinity. Jesus condemned clergy clothing. All their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. That's the, the hems and borders. No, the phylacteries were their boxes of Scripture that they wore, and then they enlarged the borders of their garments. The Pharisees did. They wanted to be seen of men, so they did these two things. So that in public, you would say, oh, there goes a holy man. There goes a religious man. Look at the size of the boxes of Scripture on his arm or on his forehead. Look at the borders of his garment. Let's go back. Jesus condemned. This means it is bad and you shouldn't do it. This means ministers. This means what you wear. And this is our Lord. If you're a Christian, you do what Jesus said. Jesus condemned ministers wearing special clothes so that they appeared like a a minister in public. Well, But the Pope wears this. Now, will that set you apart in an airport? Look at Benedict's face. He loved this stuff. That's why he resigned. So that they could get a little different look in there. And it worked, didn't it? Look what this nation has done the last five days. This is what he wears. Could you sneak through an airport in that outfit? But priests wear this. Look at those black pajamas that priests wear with their collars backwards. You know, I buttoned up my shirt and went to the uh, staff in Greenville Hospital System and said I was Tim Weir's priest and could I get back in there for his heart catheterization. (laughs) Now that would be a lie if I didn't tell them the truth a minute later. But they already knew because they burst into laughter because they saw me come running running up to the counter. Uh, Look at these fairies in their black pajamas. Unbelievable. I thought Jesus said something. No borders, no phylacteries. Don't wear special clothing to be seen of men. Why do they wear that? To be seen of men. Why do they wear that? Remember, I went to Madonna College. Nuns called me at the bank and said they were praying for me. Nuns told me when they looked at my transcript that you'll be able to talk your way into heaven. I knew nuns. Why do they wear that junk in public? 
contrary to Jesus Christ. They're anti-Christian. Bishops wear clothing like this. They're above the priests. Archbishops wear clothing like this, above the bishops. Cardinals wear this. What color is a cardinal? The red. And there's a cardinal wearing their red outfit. The Bible says marriage is good. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The Bible says marriage is, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Requiring celibacy or not getting married is of the devil. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. But priests can't marry. But the Bible says it's a doctrine of the devil to forbid marriage. But priests can't marry. Nuns cannot marry. The Bible warns of fornication. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. The Bible tells us what's going to happen if you don't get married. What do they do? I hope there's not too many silent prayers going up right now for what I'm going to show next. What do they do when they don't have women? They use each other. And boys in the confessional booth. What do they do? Similar. Sodomy among priests, by their confession, is around 50%. The general population is more like 5%. There is widespread child abuse of boys. Many stories exist of abuse by the confessional where people come and confess the innermost thoughts of their hearts and what are many of those lustful sins that they confess to a priest on the other side of a grate? Sexual sins, sexual thoughts, sexual fantasies. What a mess. There are whole webs, there are websites, there are YouTube clips, long clips, documentaries, books written about the evil of the confessional booth of the Catholic Church with a single man sitting behind it, burning in his lust, and hearing from a woman whispering a few inches from his ear of what her sexual fantasies are. It is a sick, sick system of religion. The Bible's Ten Commandments. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, no graven images. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Do you have that down, Pat? No other gods, no graven images. Do not take my name in vain. That's the Bible's Ten Commandments. Rome has a big problem. You know, when the Bible says this, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. That's a huge problem. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. No graven image, no likeness of anything. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. When you bow down to something that you've engraved or a likeness that you've made, 
you are making the jealous God of heaven furious and he will judge you to the fourth generation. Lord, thank you for interrupting judgment on our behalf in grace and mercy and saving us. We do not profess that all our ancestors were righteous, perfect worshipers of you. So what do you do? You know, this is what they, this is a statue of Mary. O Mary, conceived without sin, if you can read, pray for us who turn to you. There's Mary holding Jesus after she took him off the cross. The Pieta. There's Peter. Does it look like he was a graven image? Or did he just happen? As Aaron said, it just came out of the fire. Michael the archangel and the devil. Oh, the sacred heart of Jesus. If a person can get excited about that as their Savior right there, they have several problems on several levels. And if you don't know what I mean, you can ask me afterwards. That is a fairy. And that is not the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an abominable, blasphemous sacrilege of the true Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't look anything like that. What color hair does Jesus have according to Revelation 1 and 19? White. What do his eyes look like? Flames of fire. Would he have long hair? Not a chance, because the Bible says long hair is a shame for a man. So who wants to shame him? The devil does. Who goes along and cooperates? The Catholic Church. Do Baptist churches have pictures similar to this in them? Yes. Why? Because Baptists have sucked up to the Catholic Church, and we don't want to do that. The Bible frustrates him so much. This is Pope John Paul II. The Bible says he couldn't have a statue of Mary, and he shouldn't bow down to it, and that God's going to judge him. So he prays to Mary for help. I know I have a little bit of fun once in a while. There's a, he asked his cracker God for help. What do I do? I want to worship Mary. They send his most loyal nun. Look it. She's got dolls of Pope John Paul II. And look at how happy she is. They send his smartest nun. Poor thing. In all seriousness. When I used to go down to St. Mary's once in a while to take in a Saturday evening Mass to get worked up about loving the truth and to take some of the children of the church to know that their pastor wasn't making things up, I remember a widow that would come in from the side door. I always sat at the very front, about in the second, about at the second row, third row. She'd come in and sit right in front of me, and she did the rosary the whole Mass. All one hour, she is doing the rosary. I mean, she's taking it in here. She's doing it here. She's, saying, she's mumbling the words of the prayers. I wouldn't interrupt their services any more than I would want our services interrupt. If they had asked me if I had a word of exhortation for the people, I would have taken a while. I wanted to sit down beside her and open the Bible to her ensure that those vain repetitions weren't going to help her. All she had to do was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and she would be saved. I want you to know about that side of me. 
we should make fun of false religion. The Pope's Ten Commandments. Okay, we're dealing with a problem. So they sent his most loyal nun, they sent his smartest nun for Pope John Paul II to figure out how he can get around it. They came up with a way. Number one, the Pope's Ten Commandments. Number one, no other gods before me. Number two, can you read it? They moved it down here. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, now, if they got rid of number two commandment out of the Bible, now you've only got nine. So what do you do if you only have nine commandments, but you call them the Ten Commandments? There's a serious mathematical problem here. They solved it this way. The Bible's Ten Commandments end like this. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness. Number ten, don't covet. And it lists a whole list of things. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's ass. Okay, so here's what the Pope came up with. Number eight, don't bear false witness. Because number seven was turned into steel because they took out number two. Number nine, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Number ten, don't covet your neighbor's house. That's how they did it. They took number ten, split it in two, took out number two. They got rid of bowing down to graven images. Oh, he's relieved. Back to my statue of Mary, said Pope John Paul II. How can the Pope do this? He thinks he can change times and laws. Didn't we read that in Daniel 7.25? He can change the Word of God. His look is more stout than his fellows because the kings of Europe didn't try to do that. He speaks great words against God. When he speaks ex cathedra, he is infallible. Oh, sorry. Ex cathedra. Cathedra. The bishop. Seat. Ex cathedra. From the bishop's seat. When the Pope sits on his bishop's seat in the Vatican and speaks, he is infallible. And it's called speaking ex cathedra. When there is a church in an area that is a cathedral, it has been blessed by a bishop. That's why it's called a cathedral. Bishop. What does 2 Thessalonians 2 say about the man of sin, the popes of Rome? That when they they sit in the temple of God, it doesn't say stand, pray, preach, teach, eat, sleep. It says when they sit in the temple of God, and pretend that they are God. It is ex cathedra from the bishop's seat in our Bibles, if you'll read it carefully. It is their magisterium. They are above the Bible. That's what it's called theologically to a Catholic. The magisterium is the right of the church's leadership to interpret the Bible any way they wish. This is as close as the Pope gets to the Bible unless he kisses it. They do not care what it says. What does the Bible say about prayer? Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. What kind of people do? The heathen. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. The Pope says pray this way. That's a rosary. That's a string of beads. About 55 beads. These big beads are when... God lucks out and there's a prayer said for him. Okay? 
Once in a while, he lucks out and they say a prayer for him. Every one of these little guys, you know, that's all to Mary. The rosary, let's go, let's take a look at it. The beads you saw are the rosary. It's 165 prayers, three for each bead because you loop it three times. Three times 55 is 165. Fifteen our fathers which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus never gave us that prayer to memorize or to say it rotely like that at all. It was just an outline for how prayer should progress. 150 to Mary. Hail Mary full of grace. 150 of the Hail Mary prayers. But Catholics will tell you, we don't worship Mary. That's what they'll tell you. And you just go look at they're just They're liars. The whole system is a lie. Right. Ten prayers to Mary for every one to God. What is the Hail Mary prayer? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Hello? Mother of God? That'd be quite a birth process. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Well, why don't you pray for yourself? Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And you say that 150 times when you do the rosary and it's three loops and you get uh, 15 Our Fathers in there. That is the Hail Mary prayer. Jesus said this about Mary. It came to pass as He spake these things, a certain woman, women love this stuff, I mean, when you can make childbirth and nursing a baby really important, women will flock. They'll pay large prices for tickets because finally they're doing something special. They're giving birth and they're nursing babies. It came to pass, as he spake these words, Jesus is preaching, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice, shouted out, and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps, that's a nice word for her breasts, that thou hast sucked. All excited about the birth process and nursing. But he said, here's Jesus' answer to a Roman Catholic Mariolater. Yea, rather. There's something a whole lot more true than that. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those, you know, so much more than his mother. I love this in the Bible. Why is it there? Because he knew that there were going to be billions, billions of Mariolaters. A certain woman came up with the idea that what a wonderful thing it was to be the mother of Jesus. Jesus said, yea, rather, it's better to be one of my disciples and to hear the word of God and obey it. Mary had many children. They say that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Joseph knew her after Jesus' birth. Matthew one twenty five. Her mother and brethren came to him. His mother, excuse me, his brethren came to him. Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. The brothers of Jesus. They were converted after he rose from the dead. They became very important in the church. They're mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 1. He had sisters as well by Mary. Their names are given here. Psalm 69 and verse 8 declares them his mother's children. That means Mary had them. His mother's children. 
But the Pope says otherwise. Mary was a perpetual virgin, the Pope says. Regardless of her marriage to Joseph, defrauding him the entirety of her life, regardless of Matthew one twenty-five that said Joseph didn't know her until after she had brought forth her firstborn son, which means he did know her after she did. Regardless of his many brothers and sisters, regardless of Psalm 68, 69 and verse 8, the Pope says otherwise. They're Antichrist. The Bible says only God forgives. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The Pope says his priest can forgive sins. This is a confessional booth. The priest enters from the backside. You enter from the front side and go in and sit down. And through a grate, you get to talk to the priest. There is a woman, and many of them are very sincere. They do not know anything. Except that the Catholic Church is the true church, and that Father has the right to forgive her. Blessed be God for saving us from such ignorant superstition and folly to know that we can go straight to God and can confess our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is terrible. He is to prompt her to make sure she gets them all out. It's incomprehensible. Pope says this is Jesus' burial cloth. Do you see Jesus' head? Even showing the thorns? Features, cheekbones, nose, everything. The Shroud of Turin, another Catholic hoax. The Pope says it's Jesus' burial cloth. The Bible describes his burial cloth this way. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, that's following John, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now why is such detail in the Bible about the burial cloths of the Lord Jesus Christ? For you to know, without any scientific test whatsoever, that the Shroud of Turin is a joke, hoax, fraud, scam. I love the Bible. Look what he told us. They're two separate pieces of material. Wrong. What is this? That's a ciborium inside a tabernacle room. This is where you go to worship Jesus and to get close to Him. Because inside that little ciborium are the leftovers from communion. And remember, it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And so you go in there and worship. When it's on public display, it goes in the monstrance. And so it's right there. What is this? He's, that's a wafer. That's the priest wafer. Turning it into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. This is what the little people get. A little one. There's the ciborium. That's got Jesus in it. This is the tabernacle of a very poor church in which people come and get down on their knees like Pope Frank does every night from 7 to 8 o'clock to adore their Savior. You've got to see it to believe it. See, I couldn't believe it. I waited till they finished the Mass down at St. Mary's and they took the leftovers and went over to a little house that's built on the wall and they unlocked it and put the leftovers in, locked it, and got down on their knees. What is this? 
pouring, baptism by aspersion on the head of that baby. Remember, it also got salt in the mouth. They chased the devil out the left door. There were godparents involved and 146 other inventions to add to baptism. But it's a beautiful ceremony. Look at that christening gown. If you want to see David Farmers, it's up here in the picture. (laughs) There's the salt in the mouth. You've seen it. Fish hat of Dagon, the fish god of the Philistines. What is this? It's called ecumenical movement or ecumenism. Religions getting together. That just nauseates me. But it shouldn't surprise us. Billy Graham is a Presbyterian. He never was a Baptist. He's always been a Presbyterian, and so he's a daughter of the man on the right, Pope John Paul II. So they get along just fine. I was watching Larry King. You can find this on YouTube. I was watching Larry King, and he was interviewing Billy Graham, and he said, Larry King, he knows a lot. He knows how to push buttons because that's his job. He knows that Joel Osteen shouldn't be defending sodomites. And he knows that Billy Graham shouldn't be defending the Pope. That evangelical Christians don't believe the Pope or Catholics go to heaven. So he confronted, this is uh, Larry King, confronted Billy Graham. Billy, you know John Paul II. I know that you've spent several times with him. Where do you think he's going when he dies? I know he's going to heaven. I am more sure of John Paul's salvation than I am of my own. I kid you not. Go look it up. The one thing about today, you know I can't say anything that you can't go verify. Type in Larry King, John Paul II, Billy Graham. Okay, we've been through these. You know, I have sent, there is a very nice uh, link that I sent out years ago and I may try to find it and send it again that is an interactive, you can direct the camera any way you want and zoom in or go around corners to look at this whole building. Look at the monstrosity of the high altar of the Catholic Church working up towards St. Peter. Now remember, that's the height of a man. And his chair is way up on the wall. There's his chair... And up on that wall, there's his seat, and there's the triple crown tiara. There's the president of Venezuela with Benedict XVI, fornication with the kings of the earth. There's Benedict adoring the cracker. He's turned into God with incense. We can't find it in the New Testament, but did you hear Bryant read about the incense from Revelation chapter 18? Now that makes sense to me. This is the first slide that makes sense. They have an obelisk and they have a Christmas tree. If you're going to have the one, why wouldn't you have the other? If a Christian family would put that in their house, why wouldn't they have that in the yard? They're both pagan. We used to have one in the top of this church building. I was having fun with Kathy Scott earlier this morning that when we got this building, the men went upstairs. She didn't know there was a second story, but went upstairs and took off that steeple and we sold it to some church that could use it. It'd be a shame to destroy it. Somebody might use it. And they sure did. Dad, you're a little too enterprising with Craigslist. (laughs) If you turn right, 
out of that high altar, you see this thing. What is it? It's an organ. Well, you know where that came from. Instrumentation in the churches. No Baptist church in the world had a musical instrument before 1854 when the first Baptist church of Boston got an organ. What is this? Last rites and carrying communion to a very sick person. Do we ever carry communion around and bring it to your house? Do we have a delivery service here for the Lord's Supper? No. Never. It's a congregational ordinance. If you can't make it, you don't deserve it. Because it's a congregational thing of showing our unity and our common union about the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. This is what God has to say about that little horn of Rome. And think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into His hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Three and a half. 1260, 42, depending on whether you're speaking of years, days, or months of years. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. There is sin number one, forbidding to marry, and number two, in, of falling away in the latter times. Revelation 17, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. What woman? A church, a temple of God, the Roman Catholic Church and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, spiritual adultery. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. But it's no mystery to us. It's a mystery to those that don't know. And if you read the Bible, you can know. Babylon the Great. A metaphorical name for... Rome and the Roman Catholic Church using the great enemy of the Old Testament Church, Babylon. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, all the little churches that came out of Rome, and she is the mother of abominations of the earth, the corruptions of God's doctrine and practice. Hear the word of the Lord. And I saw the woman, the one we just read about, the Roman Catholic Church, drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, not out of respect, but out of overwhelming confusion, that a Christian church could be the great enemy of Christians. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So in the Catholic Church, even in the midst of its judgment being proclaimed in Revelation chapter 18, it is said, come out of her, my people. God's elect do find themselves at times in false worship. Hear the word of the Lord. But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you. We are bound to give thanks all way 
to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. His work comes first, and then the work of preachers and us believing comes next. Right after that, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Everything that we have learned from God's Word about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, about congregational singing, about no instrumentation, all those things we are to hold fast against this man of sin that came before that in Second Thessalonians 2 that wants to corrupt us from all those things. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Now fast usually means to be moving quickly, but when it says stand fast, we are to be fastened in one place and hold the traditions. Right. We are a church that believes in traditions, but they are the traditions of the apostles which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle, whether I preached it to you, Thessalonians, or I wrote it to you, Thessalonians, stand fast and hold those things. I need Pope Frank four. This is short. The greatest enemy of Bible Christianity, and we close up the things that we've been reminded of today from God's Word about a man that was on our shores for the last few days. Jesus wins. Amen. The throne that that beast was on was cast down by the Ancient of Days. This beast is slain and given to the burning flame. Jesus will destroy him at his coming. It says so in Second Thessalonians 2. Babylon the Great is fallen. The devil and the popes are in the lake of fire. According to Revelation 20, Jesus wins. Here's the man of sin that we started out with. Belhana. There's the man of sin, Pope Francis, Pope Frank, whatever, sitting on his white throne. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, Solomon wrote, her ways, the ways of a whore, are movable, that thou canst not know them. Right. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways, the ways of a whore, can change that thou canst not know them. And that church has changed by getting Frank on the bishop's seat. So that this stuff is happening. Benedict XVI wouldn't do that. Look at that. Kenneth Copeland. James Robinson. Look at that. Wednesday of this past week makes me sick. Three prophetic interpretations. Most or all Christians knew the truth that I presented to you today until the 1800s. Futurism, Hal Lindsey, Jack Van Empey, C.I. Schofield, John Darby, Bob Jones University. Futurism puts Antichrist in the distant future. Doesn't have any impact on any of us and never will because we're going to get raptured out. You can't get saved during the tribulation, so it doesn't matter to anybody anything in the Bible about some antichrist during a seven-year tribulation. Do you all understand that? It's retarded to even talk about the antichrist as a futurist because there's going to be a rapture that's going to take all the saved people out and you can't be saved during the tribulation. 
So who cares about the Antichrist? It's a Roman Catholic ploy to get people's attention off the Roman Catholic Church. Preterism, which means past, puts the Antichrist in the distant past and makes him Caesar Nero. The Pope and the Roman Catholic Church are protected by both schools of prophetic interpretation because it takes all the emphasis off of Rome. Right. We are historicists seeing prophecy fulfilled in history. It's, being, it's been being fulfilled since the apostles wrote the New Testament. First of all, was the gigantic event of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Then there was the development of the Catholic Church after the Roman Empire fell apart and then it being consumed until it will be finally be destroyed with the coming of Christ. You don't know this word. It doesn't really matter. You don't really need to remember it. We just know that there are things that have been fulfilled in the Bible, and there are a few things left to be fulfilled. Most Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. Most Christians are misled. C.I. Schofield in his Bible is totally future. Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth was future. Tim LaHaye's left behind junk is all future. You know, when, you, when someone that has been told everything is in the future, they learn about 70 A.D., it's very easy for them to run to preterism and put everything in 70 A.D. We must rightly divide chapters and prophecies. Daniel 8 is entirely unrelated to Daniel 7. Daniel 8 has a little horn growing out of a different beast than Daniel 7's little horn. And we make that distinction. The abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24, doesn't have anything to do with the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2. The abomination of desolation is going to surround the city of Jerusalem and the the Christian Jews were to flee to the mountains and save themselves from its destruction in 70 AD. The man of sin that sits in the temple of God, meaning a Christian church, is the Pope that was going to come after a great falling away took place. Two separate events. And so by God's grace, we want to rightly divide His word of truth. Which is first? Christ or Antichrist? I, I read to you now from Second Thessalonians 2. Now we beseech you, brethren. This is serious. Of Paul to that church. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the context is? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by our gathering together unto Him. This is Jesus coming back the second time. He came the first time 2,000 years ago. He's coming back to get us, to take us all to heaven, even those that have died and are buried. Brethren in Thessalonica, don't be soon shaken in mind. Don't be all worried or be upset or troubled, neither by spirit. Don't let any spirit convince you, nor word, nor letter. Even if there's an epistle that comes to you with our names on it, don't believe it. That the day of Christ is at hand because it is not at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. The day of Christ's coming shall not come except. It can't come. Jesus can't return except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Paul gave the order of events very clearly. He warned not to let any man deceive us. First, 
a falling away from the truth, which is described with celibacy and fasting from meats. Second, the man of sin has to be revealed, as Daniel 7 describes him coming out of the decayed and destroyed Roman Empire. Third, then Jesus comes for us and to destroy him. That is the order. One, two, three. They reverse it. They've been deceived. We were once deceived. And by God's grace, we're no longer deceived. Here's a hundred Baptist churches in London, England in 1689 that got together and wrote a confession of faith. There are many, many proofs, evidences, quotes, statements made by our fathers in the faith that they knew what I have taught you today. But I want to read this one. The Lord Jesus Christ, this is about the doctrine of the church. 100 Baptist churches, London, 1689. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom, by the appointment of the Father, all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Oh, I love this. Oh, God gave the Lord Jesus Christ supreme and sovereign authority over the church. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin, the son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church, temple of God, 2 Thessalonians, against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Amen, amen and amen. amen. Abominations among Baptists. Steeples. Baby dedications. Why in the world would a Baptist church have a baby dedication? If you want to dedicate your baby, how did I suggest you do it? Put it in its crib with a clean diaper and a nut. Get down on your knees with your wife and dedicate the child to the Lord. Why would you bring the baby to the front of a church and have a pastor pray over it? Because you're trying to be a Catholic. It's not in the Bible. Why would you ever add something to a New Testament church service that abominable? You say, I don't think it's very abominable. Then do it at home. I hope you're do, I hope you conceived that child by already dedicating it. I hope for nine months of gestation that you had already dedicated that effort to the Lord. What is this formal ceremony that's going to get it saved or something? It's copying Rome. What about the holidays? Why do we get upset about the holidays? Because they're Roman Catholic. Why don't we like Christmas? Because it's Christ's Mass. Baptists shouldn't like a Mass. The Mass is where they turn their cracker into God. It's that simple. Is that deep? Christ's Mass. Why would a Baptist ever celebrate Christ's Mass? They might as well go kiss the Pope. Musical instruments. You know, we can't go off on all these. The Catholics invented it because right. it made them happy to hear an organ. Do you know what an organ would sound like in one of those stone structures? Pretty good. How about the Apostles' Creed? 
You know, Jesus went to hell between his death and his resurrection. How about the eternal sonship doctrine? Came from Rome. A priest can, can perform three masses on Christmas Day. Let's see. The first one is um, for the... I can't remember. I'm sorry that I've lost my knowledge of Catholic practice. But I'll tell you what the third one is. The third Mass is for His eternal sonship. One, okay. Yes, here it goes. Number one, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Number two, that Jesus will be born in the hearts of all the faithful. And number three, that He has an eternal sonship. Every other day of the year, a priest can only say one Mass. Eternal sonship comes from them. They have an emphasis on buildings, which we never want to have. Building committee, keep us Baptists. Comfortable Baptists, though. Sorry, I didn't mean to say anything. Divorce is never allowed for any cause. That makes Catholic women very happy to know that they can treat their husbands any way they want to and they can't get a divorce. Vestments for the clergy so we don't wear any robes. Bibles. Do you know what the false Bibles come from? They come from two manuscripts. Vaticanus. Where do you think that thing resides? In the library of the Vatican. Number two is Sinaiticus. Where was that thing found? In a convent on Mount Sinai. Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. They're against birth control, of course, because you want to grow your religion. I know of two religions that really want to grow fast, Catholics and Islam. Catholics, no birth control. Islam have four wives. Art and stained glass. So we don't have any stained glass in building committee. We don't need any stained glass. And I know you know that. Political involvement. We don't commit fornication with the kings of the earth, the ecumenical movement, and so forth. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Amen. This verse, this verse follows three other verses describing Roman Catholics. That because they received not the love of the truth, that is right here, because they did not receive love of the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who received not the love of the truth. I know those words are hard and those words are harsh, but that is what we believe because the Bible says it. We did not make that up. We didn't put a slant on those words. God shall send them strong delusion. And to believe that a cracker has turned into Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, to where you would kneel down and adore it and think that you are in intimate fellowship with God, that is strong delusion. That they all might be damned. That is under the judgment of God in error and ignorance. That's why they're so difficult to reach. Whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. We don't get to hear the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles by word, but we have all their epistles. And the Lord has blessed us abundantly. You may stand with me, please.